My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive virtual augmented and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales to logistics and training to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. The XR for Business podcast is brought to you by my employer, Metaverse, a global leader in XR strategy and product development. Metaverse has a range of products to help you leverage the transformative power of virtual, augmented, and mixed reality in your company. Today's guest is Matt Meisnex. Matt, how do I say your name? Meisnex. Meisnex, okay. Today's guest is Matt Meisnex, the CEO at 6D AI. Matt is a renowned as one of the world's AR industry leaders, and through his influential blog posts and persona around the world, He's also the co-founder of and CEO of 6D AI, the leading AR cloud platform, which is his third AR startup. He also helped form Super Ventures, which is a platform and VC firm investing in AR solutions. He's built AR system prototypes for Samsung and had long executive and technical careers in mobile software infrastructure before jumping into AR back in 2009. In his career, he's been uh, the Director of Product Development of Samsung for VR and AR Research and Development, co-founder and CEO of Deco that created the first mobile holographic and mixed reality platform for iOS, 3D computer vision, and slam tracking. And Layar, he was the world worldwide head of customer development uh, and Layar sold to Blipper back in the day. And uh, I want to invite Matt to the show. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Matt. This is a really honor to to meet you, and you have so much experience in this industry that uh, that we can all learn from. And you know, you've been doing this, it seems like, since the beginning. So why don't we start with kind of what you've seen as the progression of augmented reality uh, over the last kind of decade that you've been involved? Yeah, yeah. Because using words like decade brings it home. Um, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I got into AR uh, from, you know, working for the company called OpenWave that invented the mobile phone browser and seeing, you know, that phones were being connected to the internet and, and started to think about what was next and realized that interfaces were getting more natural and, and we were going to end up connecting our sensors to the internet. And, you know, if you can connect your sense of sight, you know, a dominant sense, that was, that was going to be a really big deal. And I learned, you know, that was called augmented reality, that ability to sort of blend digital information and the real world into you know, into what you see and kind of jumped in expecting it to be, you know, happen pretty soon. And, it, you know, at the time there was, there was nobody, you know, it was the, the first AWE conference back then, I think there was 300 people in total. And that was the entire like professional AR industry and that included a bunch of researchers, a bunch of like science fiction authors, just a bunch of weirdos and, you know, a handful of people with, with some sort of commercial expertise. Um, and I think the, the interesting thing is that even back then, um, the, you know, the use cases and the kind of interactions and, you know, those sorts of, um, uh, you know, like ideas around these are the things that AR is going to be good for, you know, in the early days um, are still the same ones. Like, like it wasn't like anything's changed. They've, they've stayed the same. 
What's gotten better is the user experience around those use cases. You know, the technology's improved. There's, there's like, you know, 100x or 50x more, you know, processing capacity in our, our hands. Um, you know, the algorithms have gotten better and the same use cases that we knew were good ideas back then are now like, oh, these are starting to work now and, you know, enterprises and, and consumers are starting to get some value out of it. So, you know, let me interject quickly. For the people listening who are not familiar with this industry, what are these use cases? What are the, you know, the use cases that have kind of stood the, the test of time? I know one of them that keeps coming up on almost every um, show podcast that we do is remote assistance. The ability to, to have other people see what you're seeing and collaborate with you. So what are, what are the... Yeah. Well, the... the um... Probably even to go go up a, a level from that, um, you know, when I was in mobile and, and helping to sort of shepherd in that transition from web to mobile internet, um, it was, it was the, all the first sort of mobile experiences would just take a website and sort of squish it down to a small screen, and you know you had like eBay on mobile, and it was you know it was pretty lame. And it took a little while to figure out, you know, what are the native capabilities of a phone and what are the use cases that, you know, leverage those native capabilities. And it turned to be things like, you know, your phone is with you and you've got a GPS. So it, um, you know, things like Uber or, you know, Google Maps and directions were native to the phone that were kind of useless on the PC. Um, we saw things like, um, you know, your phone was with you, so you could do like real time, but short messages always work. So things like Twitter, you know, really took off. And eventually the camera was there and Instagram and Snapchat and these camera driven, you know, experiences. And they're all like native to mobile. And when you think about AR, um, the best use cases are native to AR. And so, you know, we're finding that when you think about what AR really is, and it's, it really is that ability to have digital content, you know, in real time placed in, in context in the world, you know, what are the, the scenarios or the, that enable, you know, use cases where that's the native experience. And so your remote field work is, is exactly one of those. It's you, it, you sort of want to have someone basically, you know, an expert standing at your shoulders, pointing at something or touching things going, now press that button and now, you know, draw a line here and now turn this knob. And AR lets you do that. It lets you, you know, the, the expert can be remote, but they can graphically, you know, annotate the real world scene and, and give you that type of, um, you know, engagement. And that, that means that, you know, companies can drastically like lower their costs of only having like centralized, you know, all the experts in a centralized location and, they can put you know lower cost or, or less trained employees you know out in the field, and they can still do as good a job as as if the senior guy was there. Um, so that's that's one. Um, another you know early one that was was really obvious is just like pre visualization of um, you know of purchases, particularly you know expensive or complicated purchases. So you know the 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 stereotypical like IKEA preview my couch in the living room that concept um, is native to AR and you know although that you know people only buy a couch every few years so it's not a it's not a great um, you know repeatable highly engaging use case that the idea of just being able to say oh 
I'm thinking of buying this physical thing, but I, I just want to know what it's going to look like and how it's going to work in my world um, is very compelling, you know, when you get the user experience right. And, and the company like Sephora, where they're letting you, you know, try on makeup and they've now with the latest you know, neural networks and graphics programming, you know, it's, it's, you don't look like a Ronald McDonald anymore. You look like, you know, <laughs> very natural and looks great. And it looks like what the product would look like as was applied by a professional makeup artist. And it's interesting. I, w- I was on a panel with, um, uh, with Miriam from Modiface, uh, yeah. who was acquired by L'Oreal for you know their makeup try on and now they're now they're uh, venturing out and they're doing hair yep. uh, hair try on and uh, jewelry as well so and like you said it you know it had to look realistic and it took them a long time to figure that out you know when you when you smile your lips need to stay red yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you move and they you know the the lip gloss can't be on your cheeks that's right yes so so the uh, so definitely the most of the problems to be solved and it's still being solved are, are like the, the technical problems right now. It's the use cases are like we've known these use cases for ten years. Um, you know, clothing is another one. Like I want to try on this outfit, you know, virtually, and that's one where the use case is a is a no brainer, but the technology isn't quite good enough yet to get that yeah, not quite there. ball of the clothes and the natural movement of the cloth and getting the sizing and everything right, but. Um, yeah, it's coming soon though. I have seen some people working on it. It's, it's getting oh, there. We've been working on it for 10 years. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, definitely the, the advances with, with neural networks and AI on, on the graphics side are, um, just making things possible that were never possible before. It's interesting. I wrote a whole article called AR, uh, the first killer app for augmented reality. And, uh, it was all about virtual try-ons, whether oh, yeah. it's, you know, Makeup, shoes, watches, glasses, you know, being clothing. Clothing was the one that was, it was the only one on the list that really wasn't being used all that well. Mm. Interesting. But it also works for like enterprise workflows, you know, like construction yeah. and engineering companies that want to pre-visualize, you know, what, what it's going to look like when we, you know, finish building this room and install all the equipment and the pipes and the air conditioning and you know, is there going to be enough room for, you know, some other bit of equipment to, to be installed? And it's, I mean, it's exactly the same, you know, use case as, as the Ikea couch example, but um, it's, it's a different industry and it's, it's sort of the, the ROI is, is much, much faster. It's interesting. We're, we just invested in a company and uh, they're going to be in stealth for a bit, but they're, they're solving the problem of taking um, BIM models or CAD models into AR, overlaying them in the in the in context of the real world, but also looking for errors um, because yeah. you know with products like 6D AI, you're now being able to, and we'll unpack this in a second, but you're able to create a point cloud map of the of the real world, overlay the data, and you know make annotations on that real time. So, for example, in a construction site, if you have an HVAC system that's off by you know six inches. Uh, sometimes they don't notice that for a month and then by the time they realize it, it's too late and they got to rip the whole thing down and start over again. And, and rework in, in the world uh, of construction is, is about a $60 billion problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, again, you know, that's a big one that, you know, we, in Deco, our computer vision lead, you know, he literally did his PhD in, you know, build to plan for you know, using AR to support build to plan for the construction industry. It's, it's um, 
fantastic use case and it, it's mostly been just limited by the quality of the technology and um, even even the latest SDKs, you know, like ARKID and ARCore kind of struggle when you get to a space that's bigger than, you know, like a, a small apartment or a, or a big room. Yeah. And if you want to do a, a construction site, you know, you need better technology than that to um, just to enable the use case. Okay, so so you you guys have started developing um, a new foundational kind of framework for capturing point cloud maps. And for those of uh, people who don't know what that is, or maybe don't understand that, maybe you can kind of unpack what what are you guys doing at six D AI right now, and why is it important uh, to businesses? Yeah, well, we're we're a real bunch of like computer vision experts that spun out of um, one of the top AR computer vision labs in the world at Oxford University, the Active Vision Lab. But um, that's kind of what we do, but it's not why we're doing it. Um, the reason the company was started was was because, like I said, all these use cases were was sort of so obvious, especially after being in the space for a long time. I just saw all this amazing you know commercial potential um, that was only being unrealized because the technology wasn't wasn't good enough so we chose to focus on just solving some of these hardest technology problems and making the, the solution available for you know for developers so one of the biggest problems is how do you make content you know feel like it's really part of the world and the only way you can do that is if that virtual content can interact you know, physically with the world. It means you know, if something goes around a corner, it should disappear when it goes around the corner. Um, things should bounce off solid objects and you know, the, the content should really understand the, that world. And it meant being able to capture a model, a, a virtual model of the world that perfectly mirrors reality. And then the virtual content can interact with the virtual model and, and it you know, it matches the real world. So that was, you know, a problem that in the past could only be solved with like expensive, like depth cameras or like Google Street View style cars or, um, you know, take a, a, a thousand photos and wait a day for it all to be processed. And so, you know, my, my co-founder at his lab in Oxford um, pretty much invented a way to do that it at real time on on a regular phone, all in software. You know, no special hardware needed. Just wave your phone around, and, and it builds that three D model. And um, that was kind of the germ that started the company. And since then, you know, we've we've built that out to, to be able to support you know very 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 large spaces and large like city scale sort of areas, and adding you know more and more you know real time neural networks so that we can start to identify and track things that move in the scene. So if your dog, if a person or a dog walks in front of the content, you know, again, it's occluded and, and bumps into things properly. It's, it's interesting, you know, if people are listening and they want to try this out, you know, I, I got to try this, this program that was built on, on your backend called Babble Rabbit by Patched Reality. And you basically, you know, you scan the area that you're in and this rabbit, you know, jumps around and like exactly what you said, it, it can hide behind chairs and couches and jump off your counter onto the, you know, onto the floor. It's really incredible to watch AR when it's delivered in 
perfect synergy with the world around you. It really does make a difference. It's it's mind blowing because you know if you look at some of the AR out there, you know Pokemon Go for example, you know the Pokemon's look like they're in front of you, but they're not moving around anything. They're not you know they're not really um, in context to the world around them. So they, they do have this kind of look of fake uh, about them. But what you're talking about is you know global scale capture of cloud maps and so that AR interacts seamlessly around you. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, technically it's a, it's a really big deal. And, you know, the, unfortunately, I mean, I don't know if unfortunately it's good, but it's one of those, um, one of those problems that the, the, the better we do our job, the less people notice what we've done. Um, because people go, oh, of course, that's the way it's supposed to work. You know, it's, of course my rabbit should hide behind the couch. And, um, yeah, we're, we're constantly working just to, to be invisible and to let the, you know, the, the, the developers content, the, the experience they create is, is what gets the wow effect. But until you, you know, until you get things working properly and, you know, getting the, the shadows and the lighting pointing in the consistent direction of the real world and getting, you know, the, the, the physics and the structure and all that stuff that you don't want to, you, know, you want to eliminate everything that's going to break that sense of illusion. And if you can maintain that sense of illusion and, and make it you know, really compelling, um, people just get incredibly absorbed because it is it becomes magic. Yeah, one of the things that uh, one of our developers was working on was uh, taking the geolocation, so the weather API, uh, just pulling the weather API from the from the cloud, and knowing okay how cloudy is it, so how dark based on the weather API, how dark should the shadow be? Exactly. And yeah. depending on which direction your phone is pointing, which direction should the shadow point? Yes. Based on your geolocation. Yeah. How cool is that? I mean, yeah. that's, we, you know. No, we're barely scratching the surface of, of when you start mashing up, you know, different APIs, you know, the public transport timetables. And can you have a giant, you know, bat signal on top of your bus as it, you know, as, as it sort of heads down the streets towards you and you can, you can look at it. <laughs> you know, who knows? I, I, I yeah, I, I struggled. All with I really want is at a big festival to be able to find my friends. Is that too hard? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll have that up and running. You know, before the end of the year. Yeah, the, the guys at Coachella, um, Sam Schoonover, he's going to be on the show as well. And I don't know if you saw, but Coachella did a massive thing this year where they one of the tents was completely AR enabled, so it used um, proximity like uh, geolocation, but also. Uh, image recognition to be able to place these digital objects in your world um, on one of the stages. And then they also created an AR scavenger hunt where if you went around and found different uh, different things, you could collect coins to buy t-shirts and stuff like that. So Coachella is really pushing the limits with this technology as well. It's pretty cool to watch a, a consumer yeah. brand. I was down there last weekend talking to Sam about exactly this and uh, oh, awesome. really showing him how it could be much, much better than anything he could imagine. Um, he got, got quite excited. So I bet he's uh, so enthusiastic about this stuff. So yeah, we're, we're excited about the, the potential there. And, and I was down there because we had, um, I mean, we're all computer vision engineers. Our customers are all like big companies solving like the hardest, you know, challenges in AR, but, um, one of the, um, you know, one of the things we do is we work with a lot of really, you know, high-profile artists to push the limits of, of what the tech can do. And at Coachella, uh, we work with Aphex Twin, 
and they took some of our you know neural network computer vision technology and they used it in their live show where they point one of their cameras at the crowd and run that camera feed through our software and then project it back up onto the big screen live and you'd have all these you know psychedelic effects on individuals in the crowd and it was just yeah really really amazing so all I can say is that's sick. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty, it was something, you know, that it went so far beyond what we could imagine. It was just like so much better. And I was like, wow, this is, yeah, you, you sort of realize that what you've built, you know, you can do more with it than even you'd imagined. It's incredible. My last company, I don't know if you've ever seen the big see-through touchscreen DJ controller emulator. Um, but, you know, we made this MIDI, basically a touchscreen MIDI controller before there were touchscreens in, in 2010. Yeah. And it was a see-through. So the audience could see what the you know, artists were doing as well. And we had the you know opportunity to work with Infected Mushroom and, um, you know, Morgan Page and Linkin Park. And, and yeah. seeing what these guys did, the guys at Linkin Park, um, Mike Shinoda did something really amazing. He took our MIDI controller and made a keyboard out of it, but it looked like nothing like a keyboard at all. It was just yeah. this kind of series of buttons everywhere and he played it as if it was a customized keyboard for him yeah that's it's amazing like we had never even considered that yeah yeah that's incredible in weird, weird core who, who does all of apex's visuals he he did the same thing he drives all the displays off a off a sampler controller so one of those little you know square pads with all the different colored light up buttons and you normally use it to fire off samples but he drives all the video through that and um yep plays it like an instrument to get all the screen effects and dropping different visual patches on top. It was, yeah, it was, it was impressive. Yeah. It's pretty cool that, you know, when you go to festivals like Coachella or EDC and you realize pretty quickly that those guys are pushing the absolute limits of this technology. I mean, you go to some show and it's got, you know, a thousand different laser beams coming out at you and the video is all synchronized to the layers is synchronized to the lights is synchronized to the music and you're just like, how how is this even possible? Yeah. And then you've got 3D projection mapping into the crowd, and oh, yeah, it, uh, I think the electronic music scene has really taken to technology more than any other. Yeah, yeah, no, and we're and we're just excited to to learn from it. I mean, it's it's definitely not our our customers or a target market in a commercial sense, but from a product you know product learnings and and just you know expanding the the realm of what we thought was possible it's, it's just been fantastic to work with these guys the xr for business podcast is brought to you by my employer metaverse a global leader in xr strategy and product development metaverse has a range of products to help you leverage the transformative power of virtual augmented and mixed reality in your company if you want to keep up to date with all things xr you can sign up for our daily or weekly newsletter at xrforbusiness.io X-R-F-O-R-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot I-O. So with that, what is, I guess, one of the best use cases uh, or case studies of virtual augmented or mixed reality that you've seen to date that kind of made you go, wow? Uh, besides our own, um, it, it's... Um... Your own as well, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think Snap are doing probably the most interesting work in AR right now. Um, you know, they they did some stuff with the landmarks recently, where you know they made Big Ben, you know, vomit rainbows and stuff. Um, I think, yeah, I think most people really underestimate 
how good Snap is at AR. Um, they're obviously the number one AR company in the world in terms of usage, but um, they're by far. <laughs> People don't realize it by far. Yeah, by far. And their research team and and the sort of quality of the the organization they've built to build this stuff is is as good as anybody's. Um, and so is is some you know would Snap be then? a potential customer or, or, you know, use your 60 AI platform for creating even more immersive. Is that, um, is that actually, I mean, right now their concern is that if they were our customer, that they would just, you know, they would turn the tap on and we'd drown instantly. Um, so <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're friends with a whole bunch of people. Like again, being around for 10 years, it's, most of the guys that run the Snap AR team are folks I've known in their previous company and my previous company. So, um, um, so yeah, potentially. Who knows? Uh, it, it's a bit early to sell. We'd love, obviously, we'd love to have a customer that that big. Um, but right now, we're still you know fifteen people, and um, I, I don't think we could honestly support them with as a direct customer relationship. But there's lots of ways to potentially partner. Amazing. Um, so you mentioned Snap. What are some other, uh, you know, the other one? You- I'm sort of thinking is stuff that isn't obvious to people, but um, the other big one that I, I think is a big deal is um, the Microsoft's Dynamic 365 apps. When they launched Holo- the Hololens 2, they also announced this suite of uh, templates called that they called Dynamic 365, and they're kind of like an an app skeleton, so that you know, Microsoft's customers could build, and I can't remember which types of use cases they took, but they took things like, for example, a, a field service type use case. And they basically built a skeleton application for that. And so one of the big challenges in AR right now is how do you, um, you know, building these apps is, is still complex. The tools are pretty, um, you know, like Unity and things, you need to sort of invest a fair bit of time and, and effort to build something. And so the fact that Microsoft kind of recognized that and, and put this work into saying, look, here's kind of a semi-turnkey ready to go that you just kind of need to configure and customize. And you now have an yeah, you now have an enterprise AR app ready to go. Um, that was that was impressive. And and I don't think it's been recognized, you know, enough. Yeah, I think their their whole idea with the HoloLens 2 was, you know, the learnings with HoloLens 1, they they took the feedback from the users and actually did something with it, which is kind of unique in yeah. <laughs> technology. They actually listen to people. Imagine that. But, you know, one of the things that I think was a problem for everybody is that they bought these devices and then put them on and went, okay, now what? You yeah, know, exactly. no out of the box use cases. There was no easy way to make anything. And so you had, you know, some great companies, um, you know, Finger Food Studios in Vancouver and Look, and you had some great companies making great content, but they had to start from scratch every single time. Yeah. And if you're a mining company and, and your your AR development company says, hey, you know, we're going to make this thing for you and it's going to be a quarter million dollars, that's great the first time. But when then they come back to you and say, we're going to make the next thing for you, it's going to be a quarter million dollars, that's like something's not right. Yeah. yeah. So Microsoft said, hey, let's make it out of the box useful. Uh, I think that was the best thing that they did um, with HoloLens too. And, you know, Aside from the, um, you know the the improvements of the actual hardware itself. Totally, yeah, totally. It's there's so many similarities between 
the way the smartphone ecosystem emerged and the way the AR ecosystem is emerging and all of those, you know, peripheral, I mean, you say they're peripheral, but they're really their core to the, you know, the end-to-end user experience. So, yeah, it's, it's good. You know, it's going to be, it's probably going to take a bit longer than anyone realizes before, you know, everything's in place, um, but it's happening. You know, it's just, I'm just sitting there watching history repeat in, in many ways. Okay, so you've seen a lot of you know you've been you've been doing this. You are you are um, I want to say OG, <laughs> but uh, you know you've invested in companies through super ventures. You know uh, what are um, I guess what are some of the companies that you've either invested in or that you see that are really bringing value now? Um, you know, in enterprise or in retail or marketing or sales or, you know, what are the companies that are, are driving value now that businesses can, can look up research and go, Hey, you know, that will work for me because really when it comes down to it, it, it comes down to those specific use cases. And until we have ubiquitous systems that work across the enterprise, it's going to be these, these one-off solutions for now, I think. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that, um, one of the, uh, not that it, a mistake that every, not everyone made this mistake, but a lot of people fell into this trap of, um, you know, believing that, oh, gaming is where, you know, new technology gets adopted first and gaming and entertainment are the right places to focus for, you know, success in VR and AR. Um, and I, you know, I disagreed with that from the beginning. I thought, you know, gaming is where GPUs, you know, took off and, and sort of 3D graphics took off. But really, you know, PCs took off in the enterprise and mobile phones took off in the enterprise and smartphones took off in the enterprise. And to me, AR just seemed like it's, it's, it's more like that, you know. And so the enterprise has always been the right place. And then looking at, well, what's stopping enterprises and largely it was technology problems, both you know, hardware and software. So um, when I look at definitely starting you know, my company, 6D, and, and where, to, where to put my energy, it was solve the hardest technical problems and enable use cases that are going to work for enterprises. And um, you know, when I look at the market, the companies that are taking that same sort of strategy, you know, everything from Microsoft down to, to startups, are the ones that are, are doing, you know, relatively well. Um, if you're going to go with something that's consumer oriented, you've got to either hope for like a, a massive hit, consumer hit, generally based on some high profile IP like like Pokemon, or you've got to um, you know, have some huge distribution available to you like um, Snap or Facebook or Instagram have. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of you know, advise startups say, look, whatever you're building, you need to be able to sell it for a hundred thousand dollars. And if, if you can't, you know, tell me the the name and phone number of a person today who would pay a hundred thousand dollars for this, then you're probably going to struggle for a few years. Uh, probably going to struggle for longer than your, you have runway, you know, in your bank. Um, so that's some sage advice. Well, only because I've made all those mistakes myself. <laughs> Don't be stupid like I was. That's the best advice ever is from somebody who's literally done it. <laughs> Don't do what I did. <laughs> it, was, it was worse. I was, I was right. Like my, my 
Deco and what we built at Samsung, you know, we're, we're exactly the same technology that ARKID and ARCore and Magic Leap and others built, like like verbatim same technology. And so I just learned that, that having the correct vision and building the correct technology and getting everything right, um, you can still fail um, just because the market, you know, other, other aspects of the market that you can't control aren't ready. So, you know, build and sell something or build something that you can sell today for enough money today to keep you, keep you going. You know, it's interesting. We, we've taken this exact theory and we're, you know, I, I can't announce anything on the show right now, but I'll tell you afterwards. But one of the things that we're working on is being able to, you know, help startups um, do exactly this. And, and our theory is exactly what you said. Once they sell to well, ours is a different you know uh, level, but once they sell over two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of uh, whatever it is they're selling, that's when we step in and invest in them, and we'll match uh, yeah. and match that. So, you know, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. When I got into VR, I didn't I knew nothing about this industry five years ago. I tried VR for the first time, blew my mind. I went, that's it, I'm in it. Um, since then, I took a really broad approach. We did everything from 360 videos, AR apps, VR apps, VR training, photogrammetry, 3D modeling, you name it. We did everything. And the idea was to study the industry, figure out what works, what customers want, what they're willing to pay for, what they're not willing to pay for. And through doing all of that, you know, we've we've taken this really uh, amazing lens of the of the infrastructure and what works and what doesn't work. And I think you you have that from, you know, a decade of experience and it's um yeah, I, I think your your advice is very, very spot on, especially for startups listening to this. I think this startups pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do what I did. Our stupidity. Yes, yes, exactly. Let me ask you. You know, in the interest of time, I, I want to get the most value for people. You know, how would a company start to evaluate um, or, or get started in? using these technologies, what, what would your advice be to somebody that's listening to this podcast and, you know, they're saying, wow, you know, I, I have a whole lens or, you know, our company bought one and it's sitting on the shelf and nobody's using it. And, you know, what would your advice be to, to companies to get started? Um, educate yourself. That's, that's the big one. Like there's nothing, there's, there's no sort of turnkey off the shelf kind of like if you call us, we'll say, you know, you know, we probably couldn't help straight away, you know, unless, unless you have that education and you know what problem you need to solve and you know what you want to do. Um, you know, there's no real agencies out there that are kind of, hey, talk to them and they'll definitely, you know, figure it out for you. Well, that's um, us. So I'm going to put a plug in for Metaverse. Okay, okay that's, that's you guys. So. I don't ever put a plug in, but that's literally what we do for companies. Okay. <laughs> well, so, um, but, yeah, we find that, that the you know, the people have the same, you know, bad ideas over and over again. And, or they, they have the same misconceptions about the way, you know, what AR is good for or how things actually work. And so um, by far the best thing you can do if you want to get in early is, you know, educate yourself on really what some of these capabilities are, where the, where the constraints are in the technology, where the use cases make sense. And, you know, it may make sense for your company right now or it may be a couple of years. Um, I've obviously written a bunch of blogs where I've, I've tried to capture as much as I know and have learned about, you know, use cases and design problems and 
you know, how the tech works and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, that where, where can people find that? Just, um, uh, just on, on medium. Um, if you, you know, if you Google my name, like from the podcast, I'm, I'm the only one on earth and find, you know, either the 60.ai slash blog or, you know, Google my name on my medium posts. I'll, I'll put a link to your medium, um, in the show notes. All right. Thanks. Um, yeah, and and then you know do experiments like like start building on ARKID and um, if you can and poke around and download apps and just you'll see all the problems that are there and um, yeah we we've always found like all, all our customers right now or, or it's the only ones we can we can cope with are you know have, have usually tried to do something themselves and like you know at Coachella. You talk to Sam, and he goes, "Look, this is this is the best that could be done today, but we've got all these problems that we wish you know we could get around." And then you know we can say, "Hey, we've got solutions for all of those," and it's a very easy conversation. Um, but if people don't really understand those problems, it's it's a hard you know it's just like okay, let's you know this is going to take a while to to get you to this point. Yeah, I found that you know people like Sam, he's actually rolled up his sleeves and built stuff, and I think you know. Until you've run into these problems, you know, we, we built a, a web AR uh, application, oh man, must be two and a half years ago now. And, and web AR back then, well, web AR now doesn't work very well. Back then it sucked. And, yeah. you know, the product that we put out for the client worked perfectly. It did exactly what they wanted. But my my development team threatened to kill me if I ever sold it again. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, running into, you know, having gone through that problem, you know, the first question out of people's mouths when they ask about AR is, you know, can we do this web-based? And I'm like, yes, you can, but it's going to be 10 times the time and 10 times the price yeah. because it's it just not there yet. And having realistic expectations where, you know, a professional can can outline that one, three and five-year roadmap, I think is key uh, to that. Yes, yeah, that's that is the key. It's a think think sort of medium term for this stuff, and and view the first couple of iterations as really learning experiments. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, uh, my my last guest on the on the show was Paul Boris, and uh, he was saying that in what they're doing is they're doing enterprise training uh, and sorry, like equipment ma- uh, maintenance using AR. So you know, when they're doing it this is an enterprise and, and for them to build a module, it's about a hundred to $200,000. Um, but if you're just experimenting with AR, I mean, you can go get AR kit and AR core and start messing around with it. You can mess around with Amazon Sumerian. You can go on Snapchat and build some filters and try that on the, on their uh, lens studio. You can go on Facebook and start messing around with their, um, I think it's called spark AR. Yep. So there's a number of different plat- platforms you can start experimenting and, and for zero cost really. Um, so I, I always encourage people to do that, especially if they're in that research and education mode, um, try it and fiddle around. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that came up was, you know, what are some of the, you know, job uh, or not job, but I guess, um, roles that would be required to do this things like, you know, a unity developer or 3d modeler and stuff like that. So I think, you know, by slowly introducing it, you'll realize what, what's necessary in it. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot. There's a lot to it, and um, you don't want to be building like, uh, you know, you don't want to be building big in-house teams to do this stuff when, when, 
you know, you can, you get sucked into trying to boil the ocean in, in various, you know, everything from like a small in-house project becomes, you know, something with a continuously rolling scope through to, you know, companies like, like Magic Leap or others or Microsoft, you know, that are basically trying to build entire ecosystems by themselves. And it's, um, it, it's one of the big temptations for AR. The more you learn about it, the more attractive it is and exciting it is, and the more you want to go after it. So that, that <laughs> shiny, shiny penny uh, sub, uh, problem, or, you know, squirrel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. AR can solve every problem. Let's do it all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Exactly. So speaking of, of that, speaking of problems, you know, and, and this will be our, our last question because, uh, you know, I, I know you're very busy, but what it, what problem in the world would you want to see solved using XR technologies? Oh, um, it's, it's hard to say. Like I, you know, people would say, what's the killer app for smartphones, you know, when we're doing the internet on phones and really the, there was no killer app. The killer app is it just lets us, connect to everything the internet offers in a more natural, engaging, you know, convenient way. And, you know, phones have, you know, given us superpowers in, in a way where our brains are connected to the sum of human knowledge. You know, we can communicate with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Um, AR is going to do more of that. You know, it's going to give us more superpowers. It's going to expand our sense of sight, expand our ability to know things in real time. Um, it's, it's that potential that excites me. Um, you know, I feel a a responsibility that, you know, as this type of power is developed, like how is it going to be used responsibly and how can we at least try and imagine, you know, some of the things that we, we try and prevent. Um, but yeah, if I, if I had to think, you know, what is that attraction to me, to this space is it really is just that, um, you know, that, those new types of superpowers that we're going to enable for people. Incredible. I, uh, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your busy schedule and, and joining me. Um, it's, it's been uh, enlightening, and uh, I hope the listeners take away uh, some incredible, valuable information. So thank you for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast is another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing business across every industry. To learn more about Matt and his company 6D AI, visit 6D.AI. There's no.com. That is literally it, 6D.AI. I want to thank our sponsor, Metaverse, and remind listeners that if you're interested in booking a free consultation on how your company can leverage the transformative power of XR, please connect with us at metaverse.com, M-E-T-A vrse.com. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you. 